Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Then we'll open up our Bible to the book of Psalm 119. Pastor John asked me if I would continue um, in, in the study that you guys have been going through. He thought maybe um, somebody who hasn't been participating in teaching might have a fresh um, idea or thought, and maybe that would be encouraging for you. Um, so uh, let's pray that the Lord would open our hearts and our minds as we open the Word. Almighty God, we love you. We who are in this room today truly desire your presence. We desire your Holy Spirit to be with us, to open our hearts and to stir us, to draw us near unto yourself. That we would be able to honestly look at ourselves and see all of the areas of our life where we fall short. But that we would be able to look at ourselves and see that shortness and recognize that Jesus is what completes us. Help us, Lord, to hear Your Word. Help us, Lord, to take in Your Word as if it's food. Help us to digest it, to process it, to allow it to change our lives, and to allow us to live according to what we learn today. Convict us. But in that conviction, Lord, save us and restore us to the creation that you want us to be. Humans created in the glory of God for the glory of God. May your name be praised in this service this morning. As we look at your word, we ask these things in the precious, holy, mighty, and sovereign name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you would, please, I'm a traveler. So I'm, I'm out here. I'm sorry for the cameras. I'll try not to get too far away. Um, I like to engage everybody. I love people. So you're going to see eye contact, um, and I hope that doesn't make you feel bad. Um, I don't want to convict anybody. Psalm 119 is where you guys have been, um, and Pastor John has asked me to continue on with Kof and Resh. That is Psalm 119, verses 145 through 160. While you're turning there, um, I'm one of those people, I like to under-promise and over-deliver. So Pastor John told me that I could stay here till like four o'clock and preach. <laughs> so when we're done at noon, you will be happy because I've, I've under-promised and over-delivered. <laughs> Everybody at our church has a roast in right now and would be mad at me because <clears throat> everything would be on fire. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 145. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. 
Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Now again, I know you've been in this passage, this Psalm 119, for a long period of time. Uh, I think the summer is when you, when you began. Um, maybe if it goes back far enough, maybe May. Um, so I don't know what I have to say that's different. I haven't heard any of the sermons. So I want to begin with David. <clears throat> the last three songs that you played here today that we sang, um, it's funny to me also how the Holy Spirit works um, when he takes the music and he kind of puts it with the word. But as I was thinking through the songs that we were singing the, the three songs ago, the song that you sang had the word wanderer in it. And it reminded me of David. It reminded me of the travels that David had gone through. You remember the promise when David sent, or when God sent Samuel to anoint David in the wilderness, you know, to his family's farm. And David was the last son. He was out keeping the sheep. And he, he wasn't regarded even enough to bring him in. Yet God told Samuel, don't judge by the appearance, judge by the heart. Bring this David in and anoint him king. He was a juvenile, he was a teenager, and he waited 17 years to become the king after being anointed. All the time he was by Saul. He did great things, David did. He killed Goliath, they won great victories, but that made Saul jealous. Saul, the king of Israel, sought David's life. He wanted to kill him. I remember the stories reading through the book of Samuel and Kings as David hid in the rocks as he hid in the caves, wandering about, where was his hope? What was he trusting in? What did he do to get through those moments? How did he deal with the difficulties of that part of his life? He had scoundrels surrounding him, people who were outcasts in the society. Initially, he had hundreds and then eventually more, but he had people who were less than desirable hanging around him. Your second song, the second to last song that we had, reminded me of Moses. When God was getting ready to send Israel through the wilderness into the promised land, and Moses said to God, don't send us if your presence doesn't go before us. I can only imagine how David felt alone in the wilderness, dealing with all that he had to deal with. I can imagine that David felt like Moses, alone, nobody cared, people seeking his life, nations seeking his life, and his own king wanting to kill him. I can only imagine how important the presence of God was in his life at those moments. And then even the last song, as we, as we ready our hearts 
to hear God's word and to understand that all God's word is truth, that David had to rely on something. David had to rely on the promises of God. So even your three songs, which I had no idea that you were going to sing today, are already playing into the message. We know that God's word is truth. If, we're, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this book, the words that are here, written in, on these pages by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't understand them on our own, by the power of the Holy Spirit are our guidebook. You've heard it say, you've heard it said, it's like our automobile manual. I can't figure out an automobile these days. Um, I can't even program my phone for crying out loud. Um, so you know how hard a Bible has to be then to understand and comprehend, but God gives us this. And David, as he writes these 12 or so verses, is giving us a picture of his life. He's not just writing down the words that he wants to write. He's giving us a picture of how he gets through these moments. How does he deal with the difficulties of life? How does he deal with being chased by his own king? How does he deal with not taking revenge when he was in the cave and Saul came in and he cut off the corner of his robe when he could have killed him? When all of his people were encouraging him to kill him. Kill him, David. Kill him, David. Then you'll be the king. David's like, no, that's not right. And he even felt guilt for cutting off his robe. I wanted to give you this picture because this is who's writing this. This is where these words are coming from. These aren't, these aren't from just some man. These are from David, the man after God's own heart. These are from David, the one who wasn't perfect, the one who went into Bathsheba, the one who killed her husband, this is David, the sinner. This is David, the repented, saved man by the grace of God, writing to you and I so that we can take what we hear and apply it to our own lives. In verse 145, he says, and he, and he begins, with my whole heart. This morning in the adult Sunday school class up here in the sanctuary, we talked about prayer. We're talking about Luke. And when Jesus gave the disciples the Lord's Prayer, which wasn't for them to recite daily, as we saw in our wonderful skit um, um, by, our, by Gary and his wife in the back. <laughs> if you haven't seen that, please stop by and ask them. They'll perform it again. Um, it was a really good skit. Um, and it, it's true, though. Um, are you coming to God with all of your heart? Is God that important to you that when you cry out to God, it is with everything that you have? And this is what David is showing us. God doesn't want half of us. God doesn't want three quarters of us. God doesn't want seven eighths of us. God wants all of our hearts. And David is realizing that as he's lived his life, as he's at this stage where he's writing this psalm, he's showing us how he approaches God with everything. Everything that he has, everything that he has to give, and that's what he's asking and showing us to do. And he cries out to God. With my whole heart, I cry. It's not just, God, here I am today. Are you going to take care of me today? No, David's giving every aspect of his soul into this conversation with God, and he's asking us to do the same. 
And it's like a child. My wife took care of our granddaughter last night. My daughter and her husband are on vacation, enjoying a, a weekend away. And, but there are moments when that child cries out for mom or dad. David is giving us this picture of a father-son relationship. God the father, David his son. What father doesn't want to give good gifts to their child? What father gives, and the Bible says, what father gives a scorpion when the child asks for an egg? What father gives bad gifts to a child that he loves? And David is crying out to God as the father, and he's running to God knowing that God can take care of all of those problems. So in our lives, when we start to face problems, and raise your hand if you don't have any problems. Wow, exactly what I expected. Prices are high. Making ends meet is difficult. We have family struggles. We have people who have cancer. Maybe we ourselves are hurting. Where are we? Are you crying out to God? Are you giving your all to God and reaching to Him as the Father? As your daddy? As Jesus says, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, please come help me. Please intervene in this situation. But then David goes on and he gives us his need. I call to you and ask you to save me. In verse 146, save me. Now I believe at this point David already believed in God, already trusted in God, and was already a man after God's own heart. Now David didn't know Jesus. He didn't know the stories. and He may have had some shadows, which we know from the Old Testament, but David recognized that his greatest need was salvation. His greatest need was a restored relationship with God. But again, we're going to see a little bit later that he also needed, a uh, he needed saved from his enemies because there's some enemies coming into the picture here shortly. So in, in this verse, we're reminded ourselves we're different from David. The one thing David didn't have was Jesus. The one thing that we have living in the post-Jesus society is that we know what we're lacking. We know that our relationship with God isn't right, and we know what God did to reconcile us to Him. And that is Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified, His shed blood for atonement, placed in the grave, and risen on the third day. And now we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, waiting until God brings all things back to Himself and restores all things to the way they're supposed to be. But David is crying out for salvation for his soul. I mean, imagine David's sin against Bathsheba. Imagine David's sin against her husband. Imagine, I mean, most of us, when we look at that story, it's like, I've never sinned like that. I've not done anything that bad. And yet David still called a man after God's own heart. David needed God to save him, to make him right in that restored relationship. Hebrews 6.19 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. David is, or in Hebrews, they're writing here about what salvation is. Yes, it's salvation from our sins. Yes, it is salvation unto something else. It is salvation unto an everlasting life. Salvation unto the glory of God. Salvation unto something better than what we have. 
Hebrews tells us that even though you and I are saved because we believe in Jesus, there's something else coming. Jesus is going to come back. We're going to go off to be with Him the natural way of this world. Whatever way that works, there is something better coming. And David is reminding us, let's approach God with all of our heart crying out. Let's approach God and ask for the right things. Let's ask for the salvation that we need in this life. But I think David is also, and actually we're talking about prayer here more than we are talking about the Word, but David is, again, giving us this pattern. You look back at verse 145 and it says, answer me. How many of us go to prayer? We pray, we leave our prayer space, whatever that is. Maybe you're in your car, maybe you're in your closet. Every, the young people are like, oh, that's weird. Um, but maybe you're praying, you know, maybe you've got your own space, you've got a, a coffee table and a cup of coffee and a Bible, and you sit there and pray and pray. How many of us, when we pray, get up and leave that prayer space, go on about our day and never think about our prayer again? It's too easy to forget what we've been praying for. David is reaching out here to God and saying, God, answer me. With his whole heart, he's crying out, but he's I don't want to use the word demand, but he's waiting for God to give him an answer. He's not going to give up this prayer. He's not going to quit until God reaches back out and answers his request. He's not going to forget it. He's not going to put it away. He says, oh God, answer me. David's waiting for God's answer. And we know stories like this in the New Testament. Jesus used a parable. Also in the book of Luke, chapter 18. Parable of a widow who went to an unjust judge for a case. She took her case to this judge, and the judge wanted nothing to do with her. Get this woman away from me. Take care of her. But she came back every day. Every day. And it became heavy on the judge. And the judge said, give her what she wants just to get her out of my hair. But that's not our God. God cares about our requests. He's not like the unjust judge. He wants to answer our prayers. He has a time to answer our prayers. He wants to give us our heart's desire as long as our heart's desire and His glory line up together. And He wants to give us those requests. Our prayers don't go unheard. But we also need to not give up. Verse 147, David continued in hope. It says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. So here we see David, again, chased, beaten. At this moment, when he's writing this, he may very clearly have in mind when his son Absalom was chasing him to kill him. To take him out of the kingdom, to remove him from authority. David was on the run, and Absalom was trying to kill him. And all along, David's saying, protect my son, don't kill my son, don't, you know, don't do this. But David here is showing us what he's hoping in. I'm going to substitute promises, but he says, I hope in your words, but he's hoping in the promises of God. This book, 66 chapters, are full of promises to you and I. David is relying on what he knows God has promised him. You are going to be king. You are going to be king forever. Upon the throne of God will sit somebody from your lineage. 
David knew that God was for him. That's why he was able to run and trust that God was going to take care of him through the wilderness as he crossed creeks, as he was an old man, as his son was trying to kill him. Again, another lesson in prayer. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. The meditation switches us back over to the word of God, but David woke up in the middle of the night. David, how many of you are under the age of 40? Raise your hand if you're under 40. How many of you who are under 40 love sleep? <laughs> I saw that hand go back up way high. I, get, I ask this question because, again, I'm, I'm an early riser. My wife is a late person. I like to get up early in the morning. I like to be up all night. Um, I'm nosy. I'm sorry, I'm nosy. If you're awake, I'm awake. I want to know what you're doing. I want to know what's going on. I can't let anything pass. So, but David here is waking up in the middle of the night, and he's thinking about God's Word. He doesn't just roll back over and go to sleep. He doesn't just you know, wake his wife up and tell her to quit snoring. He rolls over and he focuses on God's word. He meditates. And by meditation, it's like we eat food. We are, I brought some of my missional community with me today. Um, now it's time for Dwayne and Paula to be embarrassed um, and because their daughter goes here to, their, to your church. They came to join us to see their daughter. We're going to go to Mission Barbecue for lunch afterwards. Now, I'm a barbecue fanatic. I like, that, I like barbecue food, everything, smoked stuff, all that kind of stuff. So when we eat our food, when we study the Word of God, do we just throw it into our mouth and swallow it and get nothing out of it except for the full belly? Or do we take that piece of food and put it into our mouths and we chew it and we savor it and we get all of the flavor out of it? Maybe you like fruit. Maybe it's like an apple, a fresh apple off of the tree. Maybe it's like a pear or anything, anything else that you can think of. But as you put that in your mouth, you don't just take a bite and swallow. You chew and you savor and you enjoy the taste. This is what David's reminding us to do when we meditate on God's Word. It's not all easy to palate. It's not all easy to get. But he's asking us, he's reminding us, I meditate on your Word, I chew on it. I take it into my body, it becomes part of me. It becomes part of my soul. It becomes part of who I am. And therefore, it nourishes me. So not only does David get the nourishment out of it, but he also gets the full flavor. He gets the full benefit out of it. So David's meditating on God's Word, giving up sleep, making sacrifices to make sure that he understands what's going on. Awake in the middle of the night. Verse 149, he says again, Hear my voice. Hear my voice. Why? Why should God hear us? And, he, and David answers that question. He answers that question with, because of your steadfast love. David's telling, uh, telling God, and he's reminding us, that I have no reason to stand before the Almighty God. I'm not good enough in any way, shape, or form. But it's because of God's love, because of God wanting to love me and care for me, that He wants me to come to Him. It's because of His steadfast love that I have a voice in the throne room of heaven. You and I can see that, unlike David, because we can see what God did through Jesus Christ. We can see the sacrifice that God made for us. 
in the love which with in that steadfast love which he displayed on Calvary. The basis for God for David's request is God's unfailing love, not because he's earned it or deserved it. David's not a good person. David's not a good person. David asked it by God's grace and mercy that God would give David life. This is not just the life that not just that David would live, but David goes on in verse 149. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. But he also says in verse 145, that I may keep your statutes. 146, that I may observe your testimonies. David's asking God to intervene now so that David would have the strength to do what you guys are trying to do here. To share the love of Jesus. To share the love of God with other people. Your joy group. I had to chuckle. We have a group like that in our, in our church. We call them live wires. Um, <laughs> I never thought I'd ever reach the live wire age, but my wife and I are there. Um, and I see joy. And your joy stands for? Jesus. Others. Okay. So David here is like, we've got Jesus. We've got others. And that's where he's focused here. This, I want to know your word. I want you, God, to intervene in my life. I want you, God, I want, I want to hope in your words so that I can leave this building, so that I can go out into that world, so that I can live my life in a way that pleases you for others to see. That's what a, that others is there for, in your joy. David also comes and says, I've got a physical need. Verse 150, they draw near who persecute me with evil. They are far from your law. So there are people who are after him. Again, this could be Absalom. He could be remembering back to when Saul was trying to nail him to the wall with a spear. It could be when David was being chased by other military forces. It doesn't really matter what is in mind here. David is being persecuted. David is trying to follow God. And there are people who are trying to shut him up. There are people who are trying to kill him and stop him from completing whatever the purpose is that he has. And he says, they draw near who persecute me with an evil purpose. They are far from your law. The key here is they are far from God's law. David is trying to be near to God's law. This passage, Psalm 119, is about your word is a lamp unto my feet. David is trying to show us how to live in God's word Trust in God's statutes, hope in God through them. And we see the opposite picture here with the evil people who are trying to persecute and kill and destroy David. Do we have evil in this world? We do. We have evil everywhere. It's all around us. Have you ever been persecuted because of your faith? Jesus promises that if you haven't, you will. He says says in, in his own words, if they hated me, they will hate you. That's persecution. How do we get through that? How do we move on from that? How how are we protected and able to serve God through that? It's through God's word and hope in his word, hope in his commands. David reminds himself in verses 151 and 152, but you are near, O Lord. This is how I'm going to get through my persecution. I'm going to 
cry out to my daddy. I'm going to ask my father to help me. I'm going to trust in his word. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to savor what I get. And I am going to live fully and completely trusting in God because all of his commands are true. Not one word of God will fall void or fail from this book. Not one. Jesus says not even the tote or the tittle, the little marks, the little tick marks that go above like the eye in the, in the crossing of the T, the smallest portion of the Hebrew language will not fall void according to Jesus himself of God's word. Not one. So if you look in here and see the promises of God, that's where we draw our hope. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Again, one more reassurance that they're going to last. In Resh, in verse 153, we continue on with the affliction. David is still trusting in God. He's still dealing with God. But we move into the affliction that takes place here. He says, look on my affliction and deliver me. So David's continuing to cry out to God, the one he trusts, the one in whose word he has found truth, the one in whom he's hoping, look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. God, I'm here. I believe you. I'm trusting in your promises. I haven't forgotten your words. I'm trying to share them everywhere. Everywhere I go. David was always sharing with his leaders. In fact, I looked it up this morning. Psalm 119, the thought is, is that David was teaching Solomon the alphabet as he wrote Psalm 119. But he was using it, he was using the Hebrew alphabet to teach his son about God and about the promises of God. Again, that's just, it's just a theory. They don't know that for sure, but they're thinking that's what David was doing. So here we have David writing and teaching and trying to continue on. I don't forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. David's remembering those promises again. David is being persecuted in verse 150 by Urch. I'm, I'm not even in the right place in my notes. Plead my cause, give me life. Salvation is distant from the wicked. If you continue on in that passage, Salvation 156, salvation is far from the wicked. Why? Because they do not seek your statutes. Let me ask you a question. I asked this question in a youth conference. I did a four-session conference back in November um, for a bunch of teenagers up in Tawanda. Um, so that's up above Trout Run, right up, right up close to the New York state line. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever thought about this? Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Seriously. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Let me flip the question. Which came first? The thief? Or what he stole? Or, or his, his, his heart? Which comes first, the sin or the sinner? Are you a sinner because you sin? Or do you sin because you're a sinner? Think about that one for a second. Are you a sinner because you sin? Or are you a sinner and therefore you sin? The Bible tells us that we are sinners and therefore we sin. The Bible tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We were born this way. We received this nature from Adam and Eve when they fell in the garden. 
So when we look at this verse here, in Psalm 119, verse 155, excuse me, yeah, I'll find my place. When we see this and we look at it, it's like, why do the wicked, why are the wicked wicked? Because they're sinners. They perform wicked acts because they are in their sin. They have no regard for God's law. They could care less. You and I see that every day. You walk up at work or you're talking to somebody in the next cubicle, you're in the shop, whatever it is that you do for a living. Maybe you're in the hospital helping a, helping a patient. Whatever it is that you do, I don't want to hear about your God. Don't talk to me about your God today. You know, you can, let's talk about this on Friday. Let's talk about this a different day. I don't want to talk about him today. Leave me alone. We see that stuff all the time. People don't want to hear about God because they don't care. It's not their nature. Their nature hasn't been changed. Wicked people will continue to do wicked things until we get out there and tell them about Jesus and God changes their lives because you and I have no power to do it. Only God can save people. And if you and I sit here today and we look at the world and we say this world is wicked, the next question you and I must address is, what do we do about it? If you're not willing to talk to your neighbor, if you're not willing to love your neighbor, if you're not willing to love your coworker, even though they're hard, if you're not willing to go out into the world and be Jesus to them, then the world is going to continue to be wicked. God put you and I here to be the intercessors, to stand in the gap, to show the love of Christ, to show the love of God to the world around us. If we want wicked people to change, we must go love them. And that's what David's talking about in 158. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust. I struggle with that word, being in that passage in that place. He says, I, I look at the faithless with disgust because of your, because they do not keep your commands. So I grabbed a couple different Bibles and I looked. So I use the English Standard Version, and that's what I'm preaching out of this morning, and it says disgust. But if you look at the King James Version, it says grieved. So we have some language barriers and things like that. I don't think David, when he says, if we use the ESV, I don't think he really means that he's disgusted with them, that he hates them. I think he's disgusted with their ways. I think he's grieved because of their hard hearts. I think he's grieved because they don't love God. I think he's grieved because they could care less. The God that you and I love, the wicked people don't have any regard for. They don't want him, they don't care about him, and he makes no difference. As long as they're living their lives and getting their way, as long as they're making money and feeding their families, as long as we don't challenge them on their faith, they don't care. And if you look around, if you ask them questions, they will probably even tell you when it's all said and done, God's going to take me to heaven. I've done enough funerals. I've been in enough of those places. Oh, I can't wait to see my loved one in heaven. First of all, what makes you think they're in heaven? Second of all, what makes you think you're going? Honestly, what makes you think you're going to heaven? Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. 
If you don't love Jesus on this earth, you're certainly not going to enjoy heaven because heaven is going to be the worship of Jesus. David continues on in requesting life. Verse 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. David's like, look, God, I love you. I love your word. This is where my hope is. Please let me have life. Give me life according to your steadfast love. Don't, don't give me life because I'm good. Give me life because you love me. Give me life because I want to keep your precepts, because I want to keep your law, because I'm hoping in your law, because your law is what's going to lead me to help other wicked people be saved, as well as live my life well before you. The Word of, the word of God equals truth. This has been a really quick five hours. The Word of God equals truth. Whether you seek it or not doesn't make it less or more true. Whether you seek God's Word or not doesn't make it less or more true. God's Word is truth. You and I can sit down and have great conversations and arguments over this, but what I believe and what you believe doesn't make God's Word any less or more true. It is true. It is the one standard in this world that we can rely on all the time. October's coming, which means we're going to have a heat wave. Indian summer's bound to come. I don't like the heat. Indian summer's bound to come, and it's bound to be 96 in October. Um, we can't ever count on the weather. We can't count on politics. We can't even count on our own, our, our own neighbors all the time. We break our word all the time. I break my word to my wife. I ask for forgiveness, and I do it again tomorrow. God's word is what's reliable and what's true. By God's word, there is life. Without it, there is no life. Without the word of God, there is no life. Investing in it, remembering it, reflecting on it. In God's word, there is what? What does David shown us? In God's word, there is hope. We have hope in God's Word. When we pick up this book and we look at it, me, a condemned sinner, can find a way to hope. There's light. The light of God's Word shining on a dark world causes all of the ugliness to be seen. What happens when you turn on the light in a room full of rats or mice? You watch them scurry away. All of that ugliness, all of that stuff disappears. Because the light has shone on it. The light of God's word is good and it eradicates sin and wickedness when we take it in. God's word is love. God's word is true and genuine and steadfast love. Love that doesn't fail. And I'm not talking about, oh, I need a hug and I want to I kiss and I want to I hold your hand. I'm talking about a love that is sacrificial. I'm talking about the agape love that, that God gives to us and that we should be giving to others because of God's love. God's love isn't dependent upon anything that we've done. God's love is solely dependent upon Him and His sacrifice. And we see that in the salvation that we receive through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But think about what's outside of God's love or outside of God's word. Outside of God's word, outside of God's truth, there is despair. How many of you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ and is in a moment of despair even right now? We all know somebody like that. How do I face cancer? 
How do I face this illness? How do I face the dying of my parents? How do I face this with no hope? Why in the world wouldn't anybody want that kind of hope? Outside of God's truth, there is despair. There's condemnation. The sad part about it is if we don't love Jesus and if we don't love God's Word and we don't take it in, this world really is the best it's going to be. This world is really the best it's going to be for somebody who's an unbeliever. Think about that for a second. As difficult as this life already is, and this is the best it's ever going to be, because the second death is going to be awful. The absence of God in hell, the, the absence of restraint, the, the hellfire and the brimstone that Jesus talks about, um, reckoning it or likening it to the, to the garbage pit and the burning of the trash in Jerusalem. That's what it's going to be like. It's going to be torture. It's going to be miserable. Outside of God's word is ultimately that second death. That's why God's word is so important. But for you and I, last point, for you and I, the Word of God is Jesus Christ. David didn't have Jesus at that point. I think he understood. I think God gave him enough information so that he would know who Jesus would be or was. But I don't know that he fully understood. But you and I have God's Word, God's living Word. The book of John tells us in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is our Savior. He is God, but He is also the living Word. When you open up this book and you take it in, and you savor it like the barbecue I'm about to have. That's Jesus. Jesus is desiring that you would savor Him on this earth. That you would take Him in. That you would digest Him. And that you would share that word. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Think about that for a second. Every single promise that God made in the Old Testament. Abraham, I am going to bless you and make your descendants as the number of the stars of the heavens. You and I are part of the stars of the heavens because of Jesus. Amen. Because that promise has been fulfilled and is continuing to be fulfilled. Every other promise, the promises that were made that the Word of God would go throughout all of the world. Even now, while we wait for Jesus to return, what does Jesus say? He's going to return, obviously, when God sends Him back, but after all the world has heard who He is. That's what missionaries are doing even right now, trying to spread the love of Christ in unheard, unreached people groups. And the promise of God will be fulfilled. What you and I are waiting for, Jesus' return, will happen not one moment before God says so and when all of the world has heard who Jesus is. 
For all the promises of God find their amen, their yes in Him. That is why through Him we utter our amen to God for His glory. When you think about the Word of God, when you think about Psalm 119, when you think about what you're reading on a daily basis, everything in this book points to Jesus. David's teaching us that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our life. Jesus is the answer to the promises of God. And in Him, we have not only life, but we have abundant life. Now, our job is to follow His Word and to go tell others. Is that a mission you're willing to accept? Is that something you're willing to do? Jesus has paid everything in His life gave His body, gave his, his breath, gave everything for us to have life. And all He's asking us to do is to go tell our neighbors, go tell our co-workers, go tell our friends. For crying out loud, I started hanging out in bars because I got great conversations with people. They invited me to be the chaplain at the American Legion in Milton. I am now the post-chaplain, and every time I walk in there, they laugh at me because I am drinking a bottle of water. They tease me because I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Not because I just need the diet stuff, but um, they, they pick on me a little bit. You know what? My skin's thick enough. You're going to have, have a conversation with me. I had a gentleman come up to me, and I'll tell you, I'll end here. I had a gentleman come up to me and told me the other week, I've, and he found out I'm a pastor. They were teasing another guy because they told him he was going to, he was going to Sheol, um, he was going to die and because he was giving me a hard time. Gentleman looked up, 64-year-old man looked up at me and honestly said, I haven't been in church in 45 years. I said, why not? He's like, well, he says, I was 19 years old. I walked into church with my pregnant girlfriend. She wasn't pregnant by me, but she was pregnant. I walked in with my girlfriend and the pastor kicked me out. I said, well... I said, I believe that pastor was wrong. I don't know the whole circumstance. Obviously, there's two sides to every story. I said, I believe that pastor was wrong, and I went and I was able to take him to Jesus. I'm like, well, and here's why I think that pastor was wrong. I said, one, we know the woman at the well. How many husbands did she have? We know she had five, and the one she was with wasn't her husband. Jesus didn't condemn her. He didn't kick her out. He said, go and sin no more. She went back to the village told everybody in the village about who Jesus was, they all came back and they believed. Some of them believed because of her. Some of them believed because of the fact that they came back and heard Jesus again. I also told him, I said, the leper. Jesus should have never touched that leper. It was against everything Israel did. It was against everything in their culture. But Jesus, when he healed that leper, he put his hand on the man. The man's wife hadn't touched him in years. The man's children hadn't touched him in years. And Jesus touched the man and healed him. And I said, Jesus tells us that there's only one way to heaven. Just because you're a sinner, we're all sinners. I was able to remind him more and more about Jesus. So sitting in a bar, as he's drinking beer, and I'm drinking water, I get to have conversations about our Savior. 
I'm nobody special. I'm not, I'm not gifted. Don't think because I'm a pastor, because I've not, I'm not studied, I don't have a college education. I'm not like that. But I'm tired of watching my neighbors and my friends, co-workers. I'm tired of watching them go to hell. Only we, you and me, can change that. You and me. That's why the church is here. To beat back power of darkness. And when we don't do our part, when we don't participate, I can only imagine the sadness of God's heart. I don't think He's going to condemn us for it, but I do think we're going to have to answer for it. When we don't share the love of Jesus with people, I can only imagine how God feels. Lord, you have brought us here to worship. According to your word, you alone are worthy of worship. And Lord, we desire that all would worship you. Like when I was a child, my father was the biggest and the baddest and the toughest. Against all the other fathers, I would tell my friends that my daddy could take care of your daddy. And Lord, as I look, I had no business saying those things. But as a follower of Christ, I can honestly say this, that my daddy, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit can take care of all wickedness, principalities, powers of the air, and Satan himself. But Lord, we are the tools in your hands by which those things happen. Use us. Lord, if the Word of God is not important in our lives, make it important for us. If prayer is not important in our lives, make it important to us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have failed to be in relationship with You as You've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to be like David. Certainly not perfect. But help us to be a people after Your own heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.